Welcome back, everybody. It's time once again. Join us on our weekly journey that we call Living Hope, designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. With a woman who seems to not only deal with it herself, she knows everybody dealing with it these days here. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, if you will, back again with more stories to share is our host, Roberta Luna. Hey, Roberta. Hi, Paul. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm happy to be back. And this is quite a pleasure. I love sharing the stories. I wish the outcomes were much different, but I think sharing the stories, we're going to get there at some point in time. Um, today we have Tori with us again. Thank you, Tori, for joining us yes. again. Love seeing you and love having you back. Last time you were here, we were talking about clinical trials. But today we're going to get a little more personal and talk about your personal journey with pancreatic cancer. Do you want to start sharing that with us? I know you, you lost your dad to pancreatic cancer. Can you just give us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Very happy to be back and <laughs> grateful to be here. Thank you so much, Roberta. So my journey started when I was 15, many, many years ago, Um, and I was transitioning into my freshman year of high school and had the typical concerns. I was actually around 14, so everything started just with my dad feeling ill um, when I was in the eighth grade. So typical concerns of any young girl that age, distracted with friends and wanting to stay out and do whatever I wanted to do. (laughs) Um, But my dad started feeling really ill. He worked for the Museum of Natural History and he was all about his passion for nature and his work and caring for his family and we just made a move as a family up to Santa Barbara. and. Um, started feeling really ill Um, and unfortunately with with many patients that are diagnosed this is a a common story where something just isn't right there's indigestion there's discomfort there's stool changes there's something is just really wrong but can't put a finger on it diagnosed as GERD diagnosed as acid reflux pushing with doctors weren't taking it a step further with testing and was just the can was kind of kicked down the road for some time it was about six or seven months before my dad said something is really really wrong um, and advocated and pushed for that additional testing Um, and at that point in time and my dad which you and I have talked about had an incredible sense of humor extremely positive um, just such a light and when he wasn't feeling well you really knew it because that was out of character for him so um, after you know lots of advocating and pushing, um, there were scans that happened and he was diagnosed and unfortunately at that point he was stage four um, and he had stage four adenocarcinoma, which is the most common type of pancreatic cancer. And then at that point, um, we started an 11 month journey that was incredibly difficult, but there was um, so much beauty in the journey. I learned so much. Um, Huge part of who I am as a person. So grateful to my dad for just the grace um, that he showed throughout that entire journey. So um, really difficult, but learned so much and really brought my family very close together. I've got a younger brother who was 11 at the time. My mom, who's incredible and kind of kept the the ship afloat. Um, But so it was the four of us really navigating this really challenging journey, but um, also, you know, has has brought me to PanCan and where I am today as well, which I'm very grateful for. We're grateful to have you. I wish the circumstances were different, obviously, but you mentioned 
<clears throat> Excuse me, did your dad, did he go through any treatment at all? Was he able to do any treatment, and how did he handle that? He did. So he was on, at the time, so this was many years ago, so there weren't as many options, um, but he was on the standard of care, which was Gemzar at the time, and he was on chemotherapy, and I actually, one of the things I'm, again, I'm, you're going to hear the word grateful a lot, because mm-hmm. that's really like the the word that comes to mind when I, I think about my experience, but... Um, he was pretty open with me and my brother about being on treatment um, and the treatment that he was on and was really transparent. Of course, meeting us where we were in terms of our ages, which is important to make mm-hmm. sure that with you know younger children or adolescents that have a loved one that's going through this, kind of meeting them where they are. But we knew. We knew the names of the drugs. You know, when he wasn't feeling well, we knew. Um, so he was on treatment, and it, it was difficult. Um, and I remember you know, very vividly giving hugs on the days that were really difficult um, and actually documenting in my journal, which we might touch on a little bit. I I can still refer back to it today, but I was documenting days that were a little bit more challenging or things that we, patterns that we were recognizing just when he was on treatment. He was on another oral chemotherapy a little bit later on in his journey. So he was on two different lines of treatment, but he was on he was on treatment for some time, but then stopped for the last couple of months, um, just to focus on, on family, family life and that yep. kind of thing. Probably. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned you and your brother. You were both young at that mm-hmm. time. How how did your parents or your dad tell you? So we were sitting around the kitchen table. I'm all of these things. It almost feels like mm-hmm. yesterday. Sitting around the kitchen table, and and both him and my mom had the conversation with us that you know I. You know, you know I haven't been feeling well, um, and, and I'm sick, and I have something called pancreatic cancer. Explained what the pancreas was and what that meant, and that they were going to start treat. He was going to start treatment. He was going to start taking medications that, you know, in an attempt to shrink the cancer and to make him feel better. So from the beginning, it was very age-appropriate, but also transparent at the same time. So nothing was really hidden from us. It was direct, but also met us where we were and taking into consideration that we were both pretty young. And when you heard those words they were talking to you, what did you feel or what did you think? Did you have any questions for them? I remember being shocked. Um, and you know, you know, growing up that cancer is bad. Um, so I just remember kind of having a, a, a moment of like, is this really happening? Um, that kind of just different stages of, of processing. I remember being scared. I remember having follow-up questions. I remember we just moved into, I mean, we still nothing on the walls when this conversation had happened. We just moved into a new home. And so we're, I, th- I remember just kind of wondering what this was all going to look like. Um, so lot, lots of questions. And they answered them very honestly for you, for you and your brother, or did, did they take it separately? It was, you know, I know that I had a lot more questions than he did just because he was so young and he was processing a little differently, you know, understandably at 11. But I would have some private conversations with them and ask questions. Um, but they were also pretty informative with him as well, you know, if, if he if he was there or if he had any questions too. Were you able to kind of have like a normal family life? I know it sounds weird, normal for with this, but were you able to do the things you had done before just differently or did that change your whole dynamic? It did. So it changed the dynamic, but we were still also able to do things as a family. And, you know, now kind of retrospectively thinking back about things, 
the way that it really transitioned was we are going to live every day like it is the last day. So a um, lot of really amazing trips when it was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of the whole kind of concept of a bucket list. <laughs> um, I know that that was around that time in the early 2000s that that concept was was coming to fruition. I'm sure it was around much you know before that with the movie and just like the verbiage being put right. to it. So. Um, Went on a lot of amazing trips, saw a lot of amazing people, went to the Grand Canyon. One of my dad's kind of wishes was to dunk a basketball because he was a basketball player. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of just really um, time spent with family, um, you know, and I don't want to completely sugarcoat. A lot of this was really, really difficult. And, you know, some days were hard and some days Mm -hmm. treatment was really difficult or it was emotionally difficult to deal with. But there was a there were a lot of. really special moments throughout that period and it did change the dynamic within the family but my parents really tried to keep things as normal as possible you know we we weren't missing school we were still going to school we were able to spend time with our friends um i think that was one of the things as an adolescent that i remember not really wanting to share with people outside of my family and kind of my network of support which i i did have um that you know what was going on I wanted to kind of have that sense of normalcy at school and with friends and I remember people would hear through the grapevine kind of what was going on and and I was a little tight-lipped to other people about it um so it's it's interesting and just being an adolescent there are kind of unique things to consider um if if they have a loved one that has you know has been diagnosed with cancer and just important things to talk through you know with adolescents so um the support that I had beyond my family was really imperative as well. Um, I was going to therapy and involved in a group through our hospice uh, organization. They actually had a group specifically for those who had parents that were sick. And that was, I went kicking and screaming in the beginning because I, you know, at, at 14, 15, didn't think that I needed something like that. And I am forever... Um, thankful for the fact that my mom and dad pushed me to go do that because it really opened my eyes to the importance of honest open communication and asking for help when you need it and I I really um, attribute that to a huge part of how I was able to navigate my dad's diagnosis because I had that outside support as well. Yeah, as support is very important because, you know, the cancer is not just, it doesn't just affect the patient. It also mm-hmm. affects the whole family. So yeah. having that support is important. And you were mentioning how you didn't want out, a lot of outsiders to know the mm-hmm. situation. And I don't know that that really had a lot to do with your age because I went through the same thing. It mm-hmm. was like you needed a safety yes. place, someplace yeah. you could go and people not know what you were going through and exactly. not know what was happening, whether that was work or school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad you had some support. And I know you had a journal yes. that somebody gave you or something, and I think you called it the Purple Journal. Can yes. you just share a little bit about that, what you're comfortable with Def- on that? Yeah, definitely. And I, ironically enough, it was purple, which, <laughs> you know, very full circle and, and meant to be because I don't think that was intentional at all at the time. Um, but one of our family friends had actually, we had some really in- incredible people supporting my family um, just with meals and you know to pick us up and things like that so I had a family friend who gave me this purple journal with a bunch of different colored pens which you know 14 and 15 year olds or at least I was I was (laughs) kind of a nerd about that was into like pens and stationery and organization like that so um, 
picked up this journal and really started documenting every single day from the beginning until the last entry was the day he passed away. And I wrote every single day. It was a release. It was an outlet. It was... Um, it was funny, like, because I was still going about my normal life, but I was also documenting something that was really challenging and difficult, and it was a safe space. That was a safe space for me, and I wrote, again, like, every single day. And it's also, um, I found it, <laughs> you know, as an adult. I, I honestly thought it had gotten lost in a move. Oh. I didn't know where it was. I had put it somewhere, and, and you know, I had moved multiple times, went away to college, all of these things, and found it than the last five years or so, oh. six years. So an, an amazing time capsule and reflection. Um, and I am just so fortunate that I was able to find it and that I I was just reflecting on like younger Tori, like, wow, you took the time to do this. Thank, thank you for doing that <laughs> because it, um, it reminded me of how involved I was and how much I actually was reflecting um, as I was going through my dad's diagnosis. So highly recommend journaling. Um, if Even if it's not something that you're, I wasn't necessarily a journaler before that, mm -hmm. um, but it really, once you kind of start, it just, it flows and it's been a, it was really healing at the time and also just an incredible reflective marker for growth too once I found it later on in my life, so. Yeah, I found journaling because you can write down your thoughts and your feelings mm -hmm. and you can be honest, honest and open and nobody's going to see it unless you choose it. That way you just keep it hidden or whatnot like yeah. the old, I don't know if you grew up with the old diary that had the lock the and lock key. The lock on it, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We would always find a way to yeah. hide it from mom, right? Definitely. <laughs> totally. No judgment. Yes. It's just, it's just your brain just yeah. completely candid on paper so and i think really it helps important. to be able to spill that out and not have to you know you, nobody knows nobody's hearing it so you don't have to worry about hurting somebody's feelings or your dad you know realizing how difficult it was mm -hmm. for you or your mom so you, you kind of save them from that and Definitely. i think it's you know it's a good thing to look into if you're trying to deal with a lot of feelings and stuff is the journaling yeah. and you said you found it recently and so you've looked back at it to that mm -hmm bring back any like bad feelings or was it mostly like just kind of what kind of feelings did that bring back to you yeah it's a really good question I think it was mostly positive honestly and especially with what I what I do now and you know working with with patients um it reminded me just how involved I actually was because um, I, I knew so much more than I than I realized that I did and I was let into so much more and my my parents really worked so hard to um, be again candid and transparent and so it was a really positive feeling um, that I that I knew so much um, reflecting on that it was um, and then just really reminiscent and in, in, in honor of my dad and kind of felt like he was, you know, it, it kept him alive to have this, you know, almost 365 days of writing that it was just like walking down memory lane and um, hard to read. There are definitely some tears as I was reading it, but all really positive overall. And probably very good for you emotionally, you know. I think you were saying you were very involved. I think you were, I don't know of a girl your age that I've heard of that was so involved. You were so involved that you were even journaling or writing down your dad's mm -hmm. treatments mm -hmm. and 
and that and yeah. what he was going through mm-hmm. was that part of your journal uh, your journal as well or was that something it was um so just you know kind of documenting there were names of drugs in there there were there was information about just the location of the cancer what the doctor was sharing um so and it was interesting because it was very much a 14 15 year old journal yeah. as well it was mixed in with things happening with school but also this is what happened in the appointment you know that my dad came home and shared today so it was a it was um it was pretty detailed um and also um another i guess reflection is you know this was in the early 2000s and um there has you know although there's still so much more that we need to do to move the needle for this disease it was also an incredible reflection of how far we have come in terms of opportunities for treatment, more individualized and personalized treatment, investigational therapies and clinical trials, supportive care options. So seeing that as well. And my dad was a science guy. <laughs> my dad was all about the, the greater good and um, he didn't have the opportunity to participate in a clinical trial, which is something that he had voiced to my mom that he wanted to do. There just there wasn't as much availability there at the time. And so I know that he is would be so um, proud of what has happened just in terms of the research that has gone on. Again, there's still so much more that needs to happen, but there there has been movement since the early 2000s. So that was another huge part of this, just big picture what someone a patient's experience was at that time and and you know what it may be now and just that there are more options Mm -hmm. so that was another reflection too and i think your dad would be very proud of what you have to do as far as with clinical trials and just bringing that to the forefront and helping us to understand what it's all about like i said i think you did a lot for a young girl i mean you know probably more than a lot of us adults knew at that time about pancreatic cancer but you also did something else you helped start a support group for teenagers or young people yeah so there was um and I, I cannot plug this enough, especially for for younger um, younger individuals navigating this, finding the support when someone is actively um, navigating a diagnosis if they're open to it is so important. And there are support groups, there's individual counseling, um, there is support really tailored for younger people. And it's imperative because it's your formative years and so important to have someone really walking with you throughout that. Um, so I was part of a again, through hospice and a specific organization, you know, where I was living that um, had the support for when he was navigating the diagnosis. And after he passed away, I co-facilitated a support group for other teens that had lost parents. And that was incredibly healing for me and also kind of invigorated my passion for social services and knowing that I wanted to do something in, you know, in this field and supporting others. Um, So there's really support at every point to meet people where they are. Um, but I learned an incredible amount for the couple of years that I co-facilitated that group for, for other teens that had lost a loved one. And I don't know if you know the answer to this, and if you mm-hmm. don't, it's fine, but how can teens or their parents mm-hmm. find this for, for their children who might be going through it? Sure, so there are many ways to do this. Um, one that just kind of at, at the very base level, if someone is actively, um, undergoing treatment or working with a specific institution, speaking with a social worker in your area at the hospital to talk about teen support resources that are available. 
Um, and that can be either individual therapy or group counseling. There are a lot of really amazing organizations throughout the country that provide this support. Um, we are familiar, you know, specifically at PanCan, we can provide resources uh, for, for teens and adolescents that are navigating this, um, both during the journey as well as after. There are some other really great cancer advocacy organizations that have search tools to look for support groups for children and teens um, that have loved ones that have been diagnosed with cancer. Another, so they're, so reaching out to, to kind of inquire, looking into support groups, speaking with social workers at the institution that you're working with. So those would be the primary ways to, to really get involved and get information about support. And PanCan, if they go there, PanCan.org, or they can call the number, they would be able to help them find that support as well? Definitely. Um, so most, um, I would recommend reaching out either over the phone or via email because we can really kind of tailor the resources specifically to children's and adolescents. Um, the other thing, and I'm, I'm sorry, I was going to mention this and, and lost my train of thought for one <laughs> moment, but there's a lot of really great reading material too, just mm. to help those that have been diagnosed work with younger with with their children or, or whatever the relationship is in the family there are a lot of there we have a list of books through PanCan that can be recommended that you can kind of gauge based on age so there's a lot of resources and information to help guide conversations um, and figure out you know as as the person that's been diagnosed how to have these really difficult conversations with um, you know again my my family did the did an excellent job of just being transparent, open and honest, but meeting me at my my kind of understanding and age level too. So if anyone needs support with that, there's lots of material, there's lots of information to help them do that, whether that's support groups, online support, in-person, individual books, lots of resources. We have that list um, through patient services, the listing of books. So lots of really good information out there. Oh, good. That's nice to know. And again, don't Google pancreatic cancer, but go to like pancan.org or a, a site that you really um, are tr can trust because you have to be mm -hmm. careful when you Google. You don't want to get all the negative that's totally. out there. Do you think what you went through that was what led you to where you are today as far as, you know, your career choice? And Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I knew I knew at 16 that this is what I wanted to be doing. I needed to be working in social services in some capacity. And so um, it's been various kind of fields that I've worked in over the years in regards to social services, but oncology specifically and, and working with PanCan, I, I definitely think that my dad's journey is, is what, what led me here. And I'm, um, again, grateful for the 30th time <laughs> that, I, that I have the opportunity to, to meet amazing people like you and to, to work with such incredible humans really working to make a difference for this disease. So, Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah. I appreciate all of you at, at PanCan and the other organizations who have been supportive of me and been there. It's, it, I couldn't have done it without all of you. So I thank you for that as well. And I know this is, uh, I think it's a Volunteer Appreciation Week, but we yes. also have to appreciate you guys because without you, we couldn't do what we do. And I want to thank you for joining us again today. And I'd love to have you come back another time to talk about other things because you've got a, I think a vast full of information that would be great to share and um, 
as we end this episode we have as long as you speak my name i shall live forever in today's episode i wanted um to dedicate to your dad mm. uh, tim lyric so mm. thank you thank for being there and i know he would be extremely proud of you and i mean i'm proud of you and i you're not my child but i would be proud to have a daughter like you and i know he must be very proud as your mom and i'm sure your brother and your whole family everything you've done to bring everything to the surface for pancreatic cancer. It's not easy. It's not easy to work in and live with. So thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Roberta. I'm so kind, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you gave me the signal, so I figured. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I thought there was more, but uh, I guess that was where we're going to leave it right there. <laughs> That's all for today, folks. It's as much as we can bear. A weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Join us each and every week as we share the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it or dealt with it on a daily basis. And if you'd like to share your stories, please contact us here at the station. Or if you know anyone who needs help, like right now, well, there is a source. It's PANCAN, 877, the number 2, P-A-N-C-A-N, for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. For the OC Talk Radio Network, I'm Paul Roberts, thanking you for joining us, hoping you'll share these stories and come back and share more with us here on Living Hope as we stream live from our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center. 